Hugh Jackman, if you're listening to this, Logan and Deadpool? Maybe? Come on, call me, we'll make it happen. Welcome to the Cricket Table Podcast. This is Rob, and I know it's been a while, as usual, but you know I'm trying to I'm trying to make something happen here. And uh, this episode, we're mostly going to be talking about Logan, and I want to talk about a new format um, for these episodes going forward. Just something I want to throw out there and see if you guys respond to. But first, let's just sort of catch up with some of the movies that I've seen since the last episode. So the last one I posted was right when the Oscar nominations were announced. Talked about La La Land. So I've seen a lot of stuff since then, but I'm mostly going to focus on the 2017 releases. I have a post up on the site now where you can read my favorite films of 2016, um, and I talk about Moonlight in there briefly. Um, I will also put up a subsequent uh, podcast episode talking about Moonlight a little more in depth, but we'll get to that. So for now, so far this year, I want to talk about specifically three newer releases that I've seen in the past few weeks, all of which were really strong and all of which would probably get about four out of five for me. Uh, so far, 2017 is shaping up to be a really great year for movies. Um, I also saw Split and that was pretty solid. But these three really sort of have been like keeping the momentum uh, rolling along. Uh, we have John Wick Chapter 2, which I thought was a really strong film and I thought had a, a really... Uh, a really fun expansion of that world. I know a lot of people have been saying that. That's sort of the that's sort of the big takeaway from that film is it seems more of a transitional film in the John Wick, what would I guess end up being at least a trilogy. Whereas the first one's introducing the character and sort of has a self-contained story. The second one is sort of bridging out of that story literally with the opening sequence and then expanding out into something much wider in scope, more focused on the mythology um that John Wick is a part of than just a story of him, if that makes any sense. Sort of, uh, you know, instead of instead of focusing in on a, on a certain aspect of the story, sort of started in that micro level and then has been pulling back steadily to now where we have we have a setup for John Wick Chapter Three with a global scale. So I thought that was a hell of hell of a lot of fun. I agree with a lot of the reviews that I've been hearing where they're saying that the emotional motivation isn't as strong as the first film. I think the first film is probably because of that. It's probably a better movie, but I think the second one is maybe somewhat more fun because it does sort of um, get to relish relish in the details of the assassins and the whole underground society um, with them and the coins and, and all the whole thing. It's, it's a blast, and uh, I'm really excited for Chapter 3. And, you know, I went to see it with Freddie and my dad, or our dad, and we pretty much all walked out of there being like, all right, we're ready for the next one. Let's do it. So it was just a real crowd-pleasing film, and I think sort of cements that franchise as probably the best American-made action film, or action series, rather, of uh, of the past 10 or 15 years, definitely at least the 2010s. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter respond to me that maybe Fast and Furious, and I guess if we're talking about like financially, Fast and Furious is obviously up there. But if we're talking from a creative standpoint, I think John Wick is a little bit on another level um, than Fast and Furious. So also the Lego Batman movie, uh, similar to John Wick, um, I actually feel like the predecessor to this one, the Lego movie itself, obviously, which was a huge phenomenon and so many people love and somehow didn't get nominated for Best Animated Feature that year, which is still sort of 
ridiculous. But I feel like that's probably a better movie, but I really liked the Lego Batman movie. It spoke to me as a Batman fan. I've talked on this podcast a million times about how much I love Batman and the fact that this film touched on the the decades of Batman movies and, and uh, media that have preceded it going all the way back to Adam West and to various versions of the comics and depicting a lighter version of Batman than we've obviously got in Ben Affleck's portrayal. I thought that the film had a lot of fun with that and sort of demonstrated that the Dark Knight doesn't necessarily have to always be so dark. And the voice cast, of course, was great. Will Arnett, Michael Sarah, Rosario Dawson, Zach Galifianakis. And I don't know, it was just a really fun romp that really still had a lot to say about the character and who he is and um, just take a different approach to him. And it's it's really cool that Warner Brothers has gone from, oh, we, we have, uh, you know, Batman in the movies. He can't be on TV, you know, when Smallville was going on. And, and, and now they have, you know, Superman in the movie. They have Superman on Supergirl. They have Batman... On Gotham, sort of, not really, but they have Bruce Wayne on Gotham. They have Batman, Ben Affleck's Batman, and they also have now Lego Batman. And they're sort of embracing more of the multiverse approach to things that they've had in the comics forever. So it only stands to reason that that would transfer into other media. And lastly, I want to talk about Get Out. This is the most recent of the three that I've seen. And uh, this one I'm probably going to go into a little more detail on. This film, I I, uh, I was really excited to see it initially because I saw the trailer and it was really sort of stunning just out the gate and I knew it had a, a lot of uh, a satirical elements going on with it. Sort of a commentary on race relations and um, I think that the film has outstanding performances by Daniel Kaluuya Lil Rel Howery and Betty Gabriel in particular. Uh, Kaluuya, of course, is the main character. And if you haven't seen this movie for some reason or haven't seen the trailer, uh, he plays uh, a black man who's going with his white girlfriend to meet her parents for the first time. And it sort of touches on the whole paranoia of, you know, uh, him feeling him feeling uncomfortable around all these white people. And do they do they see him differently and and what is the what is going on in this suburban neighborhood where the few black people that he does see are acting very strange and, and just off um, and it's the right it's the uh, directing directorial debut by Jordan Peele of Key and Peele who of course also was a writer on Keanu which is the movie that him and uh, Keegan Michael Key were in last year which was actually a really fun movie too um, Get Out is, is a stronger film. It just has a, a much stronger vision um, throughout. And I feel like I need to see it maybe again to really kind of appreciate it. Because, I mean, it was really good. But it did sort of boil down to me. Like, boil down to sort of an inventive, auspicious uh, B-movie in a way. Um, and I know that the, the subject matter is a lot deeper than that. And there is a lot of subtext going on with it. Um, but the... The I don't want to get into spoilers on that, but the ultimate reveal of what's going on in the town and all of that I feel was I feel like is pretty is pretty easy to sort of not a hundred percent predict because there is some there's another element that's thrown in there later on where you're like what really come on now um, but the idea of what they're going for what they're doing 
sort of easy to read to some level up front and maybe that's the maybe that's intentional and um you know you sort of watch the film thinking they're going to subvert those expectations but then they just sort of in deepen and expand them um but uh, i actually had a thought halfway through the film thinking it was going to go in a different direction that would have been to me even even more complex and, and you know i'd heard a lot before going into this film about how it was such a mind bender and how you know how the the ending's going to blow you away and that kind of thing and i do feel like the ending was very crowd pleasing the way it ends is is really exciting um but the ultimate reveal i felt like was slightly underserved and the marketing unfortunately this is what you get for watching trailers nowadays the marketing gave away gave away quite a bit of the big like the big twists um i don't i don't want to for those of you that haven't seen it i don't really want to get into it but um, I would definitely, if you haven't seen any trailers for this, I would just go check it out and, and give it a shot. It does focus, uh, pretty, pretty well balanced on the horror and the comedy aspect of it. And I mean, comedy, not as in like physical comedy, evil dead style, just satire and the social commentary and, and how, what it has to say relates to our reality. I thought was really interesting. And like I said, it was a really strong film that I I would probably appreciate more on subsequent viewings just because I think I had gone in when inflated expectations um, a bit just from all everything I'd been hearing going on, you know, going into the theater. So that'll take us over into a more in-depth review of Logan. We got ourselves an X-Men fan. Maybe a quarter of it happened. And not like this. In the real world, people die. Logan. I don't want to talk about it. Logan. Just stop. Be careful. Okay, so Logan is the 10th film in Fox's X-Men franchise. And it is presumably the last one for Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. So before we get into it, I just wanted to explain a little bit how I'm going to lay things out. First of all... I'm going to do a little a little uh, brief intro, I guess I just did that actually, um, talking about the film, and then we're going to break it down into five different sections. We're going to talk about the hype, that is the pre-release discussion, rumors, blah, 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 the story, the cast, the production itself, and then the verdict, uh, my final thoughts on the film. So going into Logan, this... Uh, this film is uh, James Mangold returning from The Wolverine, which he did in 2013, the last solo film for Hugh Jackman's interpretation of the classic Marvel character. There was a lot of rumors about this one beforehand. I mean, everybody was saying about, oh, it's Hugh Jackman's hashtag one last time, and, and you know, it may be going for an R rating, and, you know, whether or not that is um, influenced by Deadpool's success. Was it going for an R rating beforehand? Was it not? Some people say that it was, and that Mangold uh, only wanted, really wanted to return if he was going to be able to do his vision of this. And that did include an R rating. There was a lot of speculation regarding what the movie would cover. Um, I heard rumors about Sabretooth coming into this at one point. Um, and we can talk in a, in a few minutes about exactly where he probably would have fit. Um, about this being based on the Old Man Logan comic book, which it is sort of, but not really. Um, and of course, you know, where it fits within the famously convoluted timeline for the X-Men films to date. Uh, of course, you know, we had uh, the original three, and then you had the prequel Wolverine film. Then you had the 
uh, reboot, but it was sort of ended up being more of a prequel, and then X-Men Days of Future Past in 2014 reset the timeline, effectively wiping out the two weakest films from the franchise. So that's, you know, that's good. No more X-Men Origins Wolverine to worry about, and no more um, X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, so that that's probably a good thing, all, uh, all told. And uh, what this means for the franchise now, coming after Deadpool, and, and you know, where does this leave uh, leave the X-Men going into the multiple uh, multiple films that are currently in development? We have X-Force that's being talked about, of course, Deadpool 2 next year, as well as X-Men Supernova and X-Men um, The New Mutants. So, you know, did this film kind of... Uh, mark a return to the success in tone a little bit not tone but the success of Deadpool and kind of course correct after X-Men Apocalypse which was sort of um, not very well received Um, critically and financially probably one of the weakest um, entries in the franchise today so you know let's get into the film in a little more detail I will be talking spoilers so from this point on spoilers spoilers here's your spoiler warning spoilers for those of you who haven't seen Logan, and if you haven't seen Logan, why haven't you seen Logan again? Um, you Even if even if people that aren't huge fans of the X-Men film franchise or superhero films in general will, might find enjoyment in this. It's a, it's a little... It's a, it's a little... Uh, not even a little. It's way outside the box when it comes to this genre, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit. So as far as the story... The story here is by James Mangold himself, screenplay by the director, Scott Frank, and the director being Mangold, <laughs> comma, Scott Frank, and Michael Green, uh, set in 2029, and the mutants now are largely extinct, there's no more X-Men, there's no, you know, there's no more Brotherhood of Mutants, presumably a lot of the characters that we haven't, that have we known in the past are either dead or gone, or presumed dead, or missing, or etc etc so Wolverine is caring for the ailing Professor Charles Xavier Patrick Stewart back in the role and then he finds himself drawn into something larger when the mysterious young girl with powers like his own emerges uh, with malevolent forces in pursuit of course you get that and if you've seen any of the trailers you get plenty of that with the Professor X is he's like you she's like you Logan very much like you and all that so the film could basically be said to fall in its own timeline um in that it is sort of a post-apocalyptic, um, sort of post-apocalyptic setting, and doesn't really rely necessarily on the events of, of the previous films. However, it does also sort of gel with pretty much everything we've seen to date. Uh, I would say probably not with the Last Stand, because that that had some uh, effects on the characters. You know, Jean Grey's death at the hands of Logan. That had already been sort of ironed out in The Wolverine and then basically retconned the next year in Days of Future Past. This film, These films have sort of... Uh, it's been a rough time. It's been a rough period for Fox's X-Men franchise to try and figure out where, what it wants to hone in on, where it wants to focus going forward, and exactly you know how to, how to find its own niche within the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC Extended Universe... Uh, thing with Marvel, with uh, Fox's X-Men sort of being the you know the stepchild of that like warring uh, Marvel versus DC thing um, even though these are based on Marvel characters of course this is not Marvel Studios involvement whatsoever 
So um, there's sort of been the <laughs> pun intended X factor, I guess, in in that whole uh, comic book or superhero movie landscape. So uh, this one, I would say, I mean, if you look at it, it really does kind of fit with the previous films. There's a lot of references to uh, earlier films in the franchise, and I'll get into that in a bit. The tone basically implies that the other movies weren't the full story, um, or they were at least toned down versions of that story. You get a very meta, uh, a very meta plot point w- in which the X Men comics play a pivotal role. Basically, you know, with and I think that you'll hear that in the clip that I just played from the trailer that uh, you know the X Men I guess became legends and became you know kind of chronicled by writers who who sort of spun their own adventures based on uh, based on you know reports of the x-men and that kind of thing um it does also <clears throat> more than the, the x-men it does really position logan himself as a legend i mean there's characters in the film that mention uh, oh you know i'm a big fan and and that know everybody a lot of people know who he is even though at this point in the story he's He's pretty much laying low, working as a chauffeur, and trying to take care of Professor X as the last, essentially the last remaining follower of his, or, or student of his, sort of. Um, so, and it, and it does a good job of weaving in not only Jackman's long history in the role, but, um, you know, the 17 years that we've spent watching, you know, watching films with him play Wolverine. Uh, he has appeared in, in nine out of the ten films, with the only exception being Deadpool, and even then, Wolverine is referenced several times, and and you even see Hugh Jackman's face stapled onto Deadpool's at one point. Um, and I think the weight of all that history for both the character and the audience does really come to bear, come to bear in this one, um, in an in an interesting and surprising way. So the filmmakers have acknowledged that this is loosely inspired by Old Man Logan, but in a lot of ways, it really is more of an Unforgiven style superhero film. In that it's, you know, this aging badass coming out of retirement to to one last, you know, hurrah. And in that way, it sort of also functions as kind of a Dark Knight Returns for Wolverine. Um, Just thematically, and as far as wrapping up his story, his character, his legacy. And, uh, you know, in that respect, if this is the last time we get Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, it's really a hell of a send-off. Wolverine in this film is really taken off the leash for the first time in any of the movies today and you know i want to stress those of you who um those of you who have kids and you know they're really into superheroes and they love the x-men and blah blah blah. i wouldn't i would advise you not to bring your kids to this uh there's not only constant f-bombs um there's a lot of violence they even sneak a pair of breasts into the film um just not that that's a you know should necessarily the biggest bone of contention in the film but the fact that there there are slit throats, there are adamantium claws going through heads quite a bit. There are um, limbs that are like straight up chopped off, and and you guys thought BVS was dark and gritty. Um, I just you know from my own experience, there was a like I think a six or seven year old child in the theater when uh, when Kai and I went to see this recently. And uh, he, they actually left halfway through the movie. The, uh, the little boy and the you know adult that he was with and I don't think they came back in and I'm and I hope I hope that they they didn't because I was even saying Kai before the movie I'm like yeah this this kid should not fucking be in here this is not this is not a movie for for this child they just see oh it's a superhero and they just go for it and I think going forward 
parents are gonna have parents of small children of now I am one of which I now am um, I think are gonna have to be a lot more well informed and uh, educated on on the films themselves because we will probably get an increasing variety of superhero and comic book films going forward and I hope that that's the case um, as long as as long as it's appropriate for the character you know I think this kind of approach is 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 a good one and Wolverine is definitely a dark and violent enough character that that this sort of uh, over-the-top violence really does um, you know cut to the, to the heart of who he is so let's go talk about the cast now for a little bit now this is a, a very character focused film you'll notice that the start in the the story section up front I didn't really spend a whole lot of time going over the, the, the story. I'm not going to recap it for you because my goal here is not to tell you, okay, this is what happened. Uh, act act one, this happens. Act two happens here. And act three, this is where it ends up. Um, I'm here to tell you my thoughts on it. And, uh, you know, as a supplementary material for you to see it, I'm still, want, I'm still urging you to see the film. So, and the, the reason I didn't talk about the story that much up front, other than trying to spare you the plot details so you can actually go see the film yourself, is that this is a very character-focused film. It's largely a road film. It's largely a Western in a lot of ways. And it does sort of you back to a lot of archetypal story elements that you would associate with those genres. Uh, it's really much more of a character study than a plot-driven film. I mean, there's really only five or six characters who get any kind of significant screen time. Um, and I mean significant as in they're in multiple acts of the film, they're... They, uh, they play an active role in the story itself and are less, you know, I'm not talking so much about Eric LaSalle and Elise Neal and more transient characters like that or, or uh, the actress who plays Gabriella up front in Act 1. I'm talking about the main people that we actually get to know in any way, shape, or form. Um, the, the film's a lot less concerned with the mythology than it is about exploring Wolverine and Professor X and the... Uh, the new character here, the new edition, X-23, way more than just, than, you know, developing, setting up another film or, or tying up loose ends like Days of Future Past sort of tried to knit it all together, even though it didn't really tie up loose ends. It kind of raised a whole other, whole other set of questions. But, uh, so let's go through the main three here <clears throat> up front. So obviously Hugh Jackman, this is nine appearances in including two basically cameos in uh, First Class and Apocalypse. So it's no surprise here that Jackman is stellar in the role. Um, I mean, but he, he at this point, he could probably play Wolverine in his sleep. But Mangold's film really allows him to delve a lot deeper into Logan than any of his previous films to date. I mean, he's usually been in an ensemble role or relegated with really subpar material in the case of X-Men Origins. Um, whereas the Wolverine was sort of, I think, our first... Uh, our first hint at what Mangold and Jackman could do with this character, kind of taking it in and taking him in a little bit of a more introspective uh, uh, direction and basically laying out that he is, he is in some ways uh, sort of, he sort of has a death wish. He doesn't really want to, he doesn't really want to be a hero. He doesn't really want to go on much longer without, um, you know, in that point, in that film, Jean Grey in this film, essentially everyone, and uh, in a lot of ways, uh, Logan does feel like an extension of the themes that were laid out in the Wolverine. Um, I actually saw something online yesterday, I believe, uh, talking about how Yukio's prediction about 
Wolverine's death, that he would be laying on his back, blood splattered everywhere, holding his heart in his hand. And of course, spoilers, this film ends with Wolverine's death, holding um, his genetic daughter's hand, um, basically implying his heart, his, you know, his love, his last true connection on Earth um, before he went on to that other plane of existence. Uh, and whether or not Mangold set that up beforehand, and Mangold responded and said, well done, basically sort of acknowledging that, yeah, that maybe we were try- trying to sort of uh, expound upon what we had done in The Wolverine. And I think there's a lot of a lot of ways in which this film sort of fits with that one as a companion piece, and we can sort of look at the Wolverine solo thing as a, as a you know, two-volume set and kind of disregard X-Men Origins, since the franchise itself has essentially done so already anyway. Um, there's just so much... There's just so much this film delves into as far as who Logan is, who Wolverine is, and it's safe to say that this is, this is ma'am, uh, Jackman's best work as Wolverine by far. Um, there's a lot of layers to him, both as a hero, as a man, and the film takes a lot of time to peel them back little by little and give us his rage, his loyalty to Professor X, you know, the beast within, as well as like his softer side that we've seen hints of in the past with Jean Grey and uh, in Rogue. And, uh, you know, this is a man, this is a character who's been through some, some real shit. Um, he's dealing with all kinds of survivor's guilt and sort of the rationale behind his mindset and holding on to that adamantium bullet, which I believe was a reference back to um, X-Men Origins Wolverine. It's really interesting how Logan has taken basically the only elements of X-Men's or X-Men Origins Wolverine that worked, or in this case, and even an element that didn't work, and and make it make it fit the storyline at hand and make it seem not ridiculous and, and terrible <laughs> like it was in that film. Um, and, and you really get the rationale behind his mindset for holding on to that bullet and for basically being suicidal. And, you know, he, at this point in his older age, he's dealing with, uh, it sounds like, adamantium poisoning his system. So he's sort of already dying, uh, not quite as, as uh, obviously as Professor X is, but he's decaying inside in his own way, and you can sort of tell that on his face. I mean, Hugh Jackman does not look nearly as aged as he does in this film, and, and the movie goes a long way to show that he's he is sort of on his last legs and uh, not quite as virile as he once was. And, of course, that's, that's expanded on even further with X-24, with Jackman playing a, a dual role here. And to be honest, that part of it was interesting, and I've heard some people say that you know, that it was it was a little... It was on the nose, but effective in that Wolverine is essentially battling a younger version of himself. Um, I sort of saw that... That was actually a, a drawback for me. The whole, you know, the, the classic hero facing his evil twin type of conceit. I feel like we've seen that thing... We've seen that way too many times. And this probably would have been where Sabretooth would have gone into it. And in a way, I would have liked to have seen them... Um, recruit Sabretooth for that role um, of facing off against Logan and sort of bring that full circle, give Lee Schreiber a chance to play that character in a movie that's not awful and uh, and sort of because Sabretooth was such a key part of Logan's backstory in the films, well at least in a couple of the films and I would have liked to, I, I think that was a missed opportunity, maybe they couldn't get Lee Schreiber maybe they just didn't want to have any reference back to that movie than they than they already had 
Um, it, it's it's a tricky thing. But um, as far as Logan himself, I feel like Jackman totally nailed exactly what that character is going through. All the callbacks to uh, his different character elements from all the films I mentioned was about um, the bullet from Origins. Uh, there's the samurai sword from the Wolverine that you see in the background at one point. Even little things like, um, you know, he has a battle with X-24 and he's trying to basically take his head off. That Even that reminded me of Origins where he's saying, you know, for some, it's funny how I said how it, they wiped out Origins, but they had a lot of, they kind of salvaged a lot of little no, morsels from uh, Origins in this film and, and put them to good use. Uh, he's ready to take his head off and it made me think about that scene in, uh, in Origins where he's like talking about threatening to kill Sabretooth and... And uh, how, are, how are you going to do that? And I'll take your fucking head off or I'll take your head off, see if that works. And I feel like th- that was sort of a visual uh, a visual callback to that. Um, I've, I've heard some Oscar buzz about Jackman in this film. And yes, he's been nominated before, but that was for Les Miserables, which is a much more Academy-friendly film. And as much as I'd love to see that Logan end up a Best Picture nominee next year, possibly with nominee- nominations for either Jackman or Stewart, and we'll get to him in a moment, uh, I, I gotta say it's probably not going to happen just because the Academy has such a bias when it comes to this genre. So moving on to Stewart. Of course, Patrick Stewart's been playing this character nearly as much as as Jackman has. I mean, I think he's been in about, what, let's see, about uh, six of the nine X-Men or X-Men Wolverine films uh, with a cameo in Origins as well as the role in Days of Future Past. And now here, um, I think just like Wolverine, we see a totally different side to Professor X. A c- completely un- unbridled, I mean, suffering from a degenerative brain disease. And he's just totally uh, bereft of of the very, not bereft, totally bereft, but he has very, basically a sliver of the optimism and hope. And, uh, you know, the, the leader that we once saw in the films is, is barely there. I mean, he's still... He still believes in Logan, and he still is trying to do what's right, but it, it's now clouded by the fact that he could barely function himself. Um, and by the way, the sequences involving his seizures and the havoc that they wreak on, uh, on the people around him was, was pretty extraordinary. And I thought were some of the most well-crafted sequences in the film you get a, you get uh, a couple of them. The main one being in the hotel, of course, where um, Wolverine has to take advantage of the fact that he is he can heal um, and sort of struggle through what would normally freeze most people. Um, and I thought that the torment and emotional frailty that Stewart brought to this film was was really powerful. And like heartbreaking in a lot of ways. I mean, early even early on in his first couple scenes with Wolverine um, in that you know in that silo, I guess that or like I guess it's it's like yeah, it's sort of on its side. It's like a giant tank um, that uh, Wolverine is keeping him in to protect you know protect everyone from from his his mind and the havoc that it can wreak. Uh, no pun uh, not pun not intended for havoc uh, since he was in the last uh, the last film. But um, I thought he really captured that, and it was really it really made a, a big emotional impact on me. Someone who's been a fan of these characters since childhood, and who you know was really excited when they cast Patrick Stewart in this role 17 years ago, 
And uh, I actually, I remember, you know, having, you know, fan casting the ultimate X-Men film based on all my trading cards and that I had as a kid and watching the show on Fox and, and being like, oh, well, Patrick Stewart would be the perfect play uh, actor to play Professor X. Even then, and this is the early 90s when he was basically just Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc Picard, uh, main, what he was mainly known for. And, um, you know, of course it was mainly the bald thing there, but he really does bring such presence and authority to the role of Professor X here that to see that so, so stripped away, uh, I thought was, was really, uh, really uh, heart-wrenching. And, of course, we don't find out until late in the film that his condition is what led to the death of the X-Men in what, what is known as the Westchester Incident. And I thought that was an interesting twist on, um, if you know anything about the comic books, um, there's a plot element there in which Logan himself was mind-controlled by Mysterio, who, of course, is a Spider-Man character, and that opens up a whole other, a whole other set of, of uh, you know, can of worms and that you know, can't use any of the Spider-Man characters because they're owned by Sony. And uh, I thought that this, that was a smart move to sort of shift it over and turn um, turn Professor X into the one that needed uh, needed help, needed protection, needed guidance, and Logan into his protector, um, which was sort of sort of a theme that they kind of toyed with a little bit in Days of Future Past with um, <clears throat> excuse me with uh, Logan going back in time to help the 1970s Professor X dealing with addiction and to help him sort of find his path. I feel like the, this film sort of builds on that theme and that sort of mentor-mentee, father-son relationship between Logan and Wolverine that other than uh, Xavier's relationship to Magneto, this is probably the other most central dynamic of the entire franchise to date since it has carried on through so many of the films. As I mentioned, um, Patrick Stewart has been in six of them. And, you know, it's no surprise that those pretty much all involve Wolverine as well. Um, so it's it's just, yeah, seeing Professor X at this late stage of his life was, was, really, uh, was really interesting and um, something that does feel sort of like an alt version of the character in some ways. But, I mean, again, we... They've been through so much at this point, and his mind is barely hanging on, so it makes a lot of sense that he would be vastly different than, you know, the Professor Xavier we met in 2000 when he uh, when he recruited uh, Wolverine into the X-Men and, and that whole thing. And the film actually references his discovery of Wolverine. He's like, when I found you, you were a cage fighter, and, and talks about New York on top of the Statue of Liberty, and it's just crazy to see this movie 17 years later and remembering, oh my god, that's right, that they, that is what happened, and sort of kind of tracing the whole journey. This this film, in a lot of ways, does feel like a concluding chapter for both of the characters, and, and um, in many ways, I sort of think that it should kind of be the swan song for both of them, uh, even though who knows where we're going to go going forward. We could always have James McAvoy in the care, in the, in the role of Xavier and uh, and that kind of thing, but I thought this film beautifully captured the relationship between Wolverine and Professor X. And, you know, Stewart himself, like Jackman, has said he won't be back. And, you know, this is the perfect finale, he says. And, you know, I'm inclined to agree um, whether or not that ends up being the case. So let's move on to our third, essentially third lead um, in Daphne Keene. She's playing Laura 
here who is basically X-23. And my God, what a revelation this actress was. She owns every second she's on screen. And she doesn't even talk for most of her screen time here. But right from, you know, her first her first moment, uh, she has a similar, like, quiet intensity and sort of ferocity that Wolverine has. And uh, with an underpinning of the same sense of pain and in a search for belonging in a, in a lot of ways as professor x points out her arc is very similar to logan's and i feel like um i really want to see that uh, ex- expanded on going forward i mean this is daphne Keene's first film and she had an, an incredible presence um i know some of the fight scenes was probably stunt people and that kind of thing but the fight scenes involving this character were so visceral um and and uh engaging and she was cl- easily the, one of the standout characters in the film, and that, that and that's putting her side by side with Professor X and Wolverine, who are two of the big, like I said earlier, along with Magneto, like two of the three main pillars that this franchise has stood on for 17 years, and she stood toe to toe with them, and uh, and more than held her own uh, acting wise with the character that she was dealing with, as well as just you know as as, as a sheer badass and like the. Um, the evolution that she goes through throughout the film was was really fascinating, and uh, you sort of see her from this almost feral, feral like beast evolve into uh, a much more human character, and that's really punctuated by her <clears throat> by her cries of "Daddy" at the end to Wolverine during his death, and uh, that was so powerful and evocative of everything that she's experienced up to that point, and especially with me having a three-month-old daughter at home. It's just that whole daddy moment and the father-daughter thing with the two of them. It's like, oh my god! Uh, I I looked. I like many other people. I was very emotional at that point, but I still looked around and I there was a, a a man sitting next to me, and I looked over to him and he looked like he was having a little bit of an emotional moment too. So, the fact that so many people uh, have such a have, have a such a deep connection with that with that relationship between uh, Laura and Logan. I thought was really powerful, and uh, I know in the comic books she picks up the mantle of Wolverine. Actually, just takes on the name um, going forward, and I really hope that they 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 keep that going. Um, you know, in the, into the the subsequent films. Um, you know, the connection that she had with Logan was so strong here is brief, and she loses it pretty fast. But I mean, you could tell that having Logan in her life meant was such a uh, such a turning point for her in a lot of ways and you know she had this lingering search for meaning just like Logan in, in the original film who had lost his memory and looking for a family looking for someone to somewhere to belong and some purpose and uh, you really can tell with Daphne Keene's performance here that she she could feel that going forward the characters mo- uh, the character's behavior should reflect that last moment with Wolverine and her, him telling her, don't be what they made you, which not only is, is a broad theme that's been touched on in all kinds of films, even within the genre. I mean, you go back to Hellboy and that kind of thing where, you know, he's essentially supposed to be the bringer of, of apocalypse of the end of the world and chooses a different path and that you always have a choice. And, uh, that, that's, you know, not a new theme, but it's, it's explored so well and so beautifully in this film um, that that I, I, I really hope that X-23 can sort of keep that thematic 
uh, elements alive in the future X-Men films. And there's been a lot of talk about X-23 and how she's going to factor into the, you know, the movies that I mentioned that they have in development. Maybe X-Factor, uh, not X-Factor. We'll get there at some point. Uh, X-Force or, um, you know, uh, New Mutants or one of those. Whoever, we don't know exactly where we'll see her next if they will just straight up do an X-23 movie. But honestly, I really hope that they resist the urge to recast and keep uh, Daphne Keene in this role. Uh, sort of allow her to grow with it just as Jackman did so that 15 20 years from now when she's like this is it hashtag one last time as x23 um, we can have a similar experience um, kind of looking back at the long history that that character had has cultivated over multiple films um, I know she's the actress is probably about 11 or 12 and it's not clear exactly how what age we want or they want x23 to be when we next see her, but I'm perfectly fine with them kind of putting that character on the slight back burner for a little bit to focus on X-Force and Deadpool and I guess the Gambit movie that's probably still happening. I mean, if it does, if it, I'll, I'll see it, of course, because I'm so in the bag on anything relating to these films, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm not like clamoring for a Gambit film. I don't think anybody really is, but, um, you know, and then come back to X-23 when uh, when Keen is like late teens, then have her be a sort of the, the young adult, sort of Katniss Everdeen of the X Men, I guess. Um, so so those are the three leads, and they were all incredibly powerful performances. And uh, I really hope to see Jackman and or Stewart and or Keen. I mean, probably not the latter, just because her role is so quiet for so long in the film, and um, it's going to be hard enough for established actors like Jackman and Stewart to break into the awards buzz let alone a newcomer like Keen but I think she will get a shit ton of young star or young artist or whatever awards there are for for young up-and-coming actors uh, she definitely deserves to to get her share of recognition with that um, but I'd love to see some some Oscar buzz for acting if nothing else for these films going forward uh, you know in Oscars or Golden Globes or whatever so as far as the other cast we had Boyd Holbrook, Holbrook excuse me and he has Pierce, and he was sort of the, you know, henchman type throughout the film. And he, he was effective, though un, unremarkable. Uh, and that's not the actor's fault. That's just the character that he was playing was was sort of a one-note type of character. Uh, and I think, I think he did bring the presence to that that he, you know, as much presence to it as we could hope. Stephen Merchant, who's really weird because I just saw him in the movie Table 19, which you can by this way see my read my review of on wegotthiscovered.com, but he just played in that movie and his as his normally like scrawny, tall, lanky like uh, you know comedian doing his dry humor uh, that he normally does. So to see him in a more serious role as Caliban, who of course factored into X Men Apocalypse, but is way more fascinating and interesting here, and he gets a really uh, some really strong moments to shine as well. I thought uh, I thought he he did pretty well with that role, and then Richard E. Grant as the villain, Doctor Rice, towards the end. Again, not particularly useful, but like I said, this film—I mean, he was he was fine, but this film is not a movie about the villains. It's not a movie about building up the plot. This is more about the characters themselves, the three that I mentioned, and it does it does that so well that I I can ignore the fact that it sort of falls into the Marvel Studios trap of having subpar villains and having a lot of ex exposition heavy scenes that kind of thing um so overall three remarkable performances uh, now moving forward into the production 
So this film was gorgeously shot by the director of photography, John Matheson. Um, I mean, there's a lot of... The color palette is as a lot of orangey and a lot of yellow, a lot of dark blues, a lot of... Uh, a lot of very somber tone, which fits the uh, very bleak subject matter and the very uh, heavy atmosphere of the movie itself. Um sort of kind of fitting within the the western element that this film so heavily leans on uh, I thought the score by Marco Beltrami who's done a lot of comic book films as, and as, uh, such as I think he did the first the first Hellboy one of the other Hellboys and then I think he did some of the Blade movies he's been, he's basically done a lot of of uh, these films in the past and I thought he brought something really uh, haunting and sort of different here that uh, that befits the the fact that this is such a unique take on the comic book uh, source material. Uh, Mangold's direction, of course, is on point. I mean, he's done this a million times. I actually just re- you know reviewed in IMDb, just like kind of looked over his filmography, and I forgot that he had done so many really strong films. I mean, he I know I knew that he had done Three Ten to Yuma, but I forgot that he had also done Copland. And, uh, man, a few other ones. I'm blanking here. Walk the Line, of course. Uh, let me see exactly what he had. But he had done... He's done such interesting films in the past. Uh, Night and Day, which is not a great movie, but, but uh, you know, it's, it's sufficient and uh, solid. Identity, which which made a an impression on me about a decade or so ago. Girl Interrupted. I mean, he's done all kinds of, all kinds of films. The only one of which I haven't seen is Heavy, his debut from 1995. Um, but he's, other than that, he's done such such uh, solid and interesting work across a broad spectrum of genres. But the fact that he had done 310 to Yuma, I think, really helped with the Western aesthetic here. But, I, I, you know, coming off of The Wolverine, I feel like he took his, he took his game to a whole, whole uh, to a, to, he took his whole game up a level here. I don't want to say a whole nother level. Because those of you who might listen to the film spotting podcast, uh, I know, they, they are known for saying that a little too much, so I don't want to fall into the same trap, even though, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna end up in a category with those guys, uh, with Adam and Josh, I would, I would love that, because, uh, their show is amazing, but, um, yeah, so, it's very, Logan's very much a western take on the superhero genre, in much the same way that The Dark Knight is a crime thriller that just how happens to have a guy in a bat costume and another guy that that dresses like a clown uh, with makeup and such, and I feel like the production design here really supports the level of commitment that Mangold was trying to put into um, taking the superhero genre. And he was, as he points out, and this is this is a good point: the superhero genre isn't even really a genre; it's a it's a mode of storytelling that you can then take into different different genre territory. I mean, we're seeing that with Marvel. With uh, Doctor Strange being sort of this mystical thing, and and, and uh, Winter Soldier being like a, a political thriller, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy being a space opera, and um, now you know this isn't Marvel Studios, of course, but Logan is kind of continuing that that trend that Marvel has sort of laid out. Even though Marvel's films do feel feel a little homogenized, and this is something that I mentioned in my Iron Fist review uh, for the TV side of the Marvel universe. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe on We Got This Covered. You can read, read my review of Iron Fist over there. Um, I feel like Logan is is really keeping the keeping the Fox X Men side of things um, 
really on the on the cutting edge and innovative in that they're doing things that none of the other studios or shared universes are doing. And the visual effects in Logan, of course, are top-notch. And it's really a testament to the fact that these superhero films don't need to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, reportedly, the budget for Logan was $97 million, And that is hardly cheap. But when you compare that to rumors that Avengers Infinity War and Avengers 4 are going to combine to cost a billion dollars, that's $500 million apiece, the fact that this is 97 it's like, that's low to mid-budget. Um, considering, you know, considering similar films out there right now um, and you can tell throughout Logan that there is a singular vision at play this is Mangold and Jackman's baby and you can you can tell that there's so much passion involved in this film and uh, despite some like middle act sluggishness and as I mentioned um, a few moments ago sort of a um, some exposition heavy scenes where there's some there's a video that Logan sees on on the this uh, the dead nurse's phone that's sort of been like, this is what's happening. This is where this girl came from. Here's all the footage you need to know. She's your baby. She's your baby. Um, uh, you know, with some of those little narrative shortcuts, I can, I can forgive. Even the X-24 evil twin thing, I can forgive. When the, the production level, the performances, the themes, the reverence, and also non-reverence. I don't, not irreverence. There's a different... There's a different term, you know, the uh, the reverence to the previous uh, to the previous films, the history it has, but also the brashness to go off and take that in a totally different direction and add add uh, exciting new layers to that. Uh, I think I think you know you can. It's easy to overlook the flaws within the film. So that being said, in case you didn't tell, I really loved Logan. So going into the verdict. Uh, this really goes to show you what happens when Fox gets out of a filmmaker's way and lets the director and, their st- and a star tell their story. I mean, they did this with Ryan Reynolds and Tim Miller on Deadpool, and that came, that turned out really well. The highest-grossing X-Men film uh, in history, and I think also the mo- least expensive to make. Um, and, and of course, that's not necessarily saying that all superhero films need to be R-rated. I mean, for example, can you imagine an R-rated Spider-Man or, or even Superman? We don't really need that. Um, because those, or Captain America, those heroes are about something very different. They're about optimism and human nature, uh, you know, a sense of human good and a belief in the human spirit and, and all that. Characters like Deadpool, who doesn't give a fuck about any of that and just kind of does what he needs to do, cursing and slicing people wherever he needs to, all he wants. Wolverine, who has a very who is essentially an anti-hero in this film especially but in general in the comics he is a hero but he goes way too far in order to to enact justice or vengeance or whatever um and to and also batman just not necessarily because of batman but also but his rogues gallery and how dark that gets uh some of those characters are really befitting of an r rating in this kind of uh dire tone and um, you know the film shouldn't be designed around what the movie should be rated of course this is I'm speaking from the creative artistic side of things not the business side of things I understand the PG-13 appeals to a wider audience and then you know people can bring kids and you know kids people can get in there without IDs and all that stuff but um, you need to really do what befits the character so for Wolverine an R rating makes a lot of sense because of his dark nature because of his history because of his his willingness to to kill when necessary uh and, and 
I think that it was a kind of a brilliant mood, uh, mood or, or brilliant, sorry, brilliant mode to take this character out. I was trying to find my words. Brilliant mode to take this character out on to to kind of unleash the true Wolverine and and really truly do justice to the character and who he is at his heart before we sort of say goodbye to him for a little while and uh, move on to another era of the character, whether that's X-23 suited up as Wolverine or Logan rebooted somewhere down the line. Uh, I feel like that this film did a really good job kind of putting their stamp on that. In that way, it really does kind of function as a standalone, even though, you know, it's a self-contained story about the true Wolverine from the comics, if you want to look at it that way, as referenced in the film itself. And it's really, to me, though, far more effective as an epilogue to Wolverine's story over these past nine films. I mean, you had time travel and all kinds of stuff going on. But it, it, either way, regardless as you look at it, if you hate the X-Men films to date and you look at this as a standalone movie about Wolverine because you really like the character Wolverine and he's never been done right on screen, damn it, um, or you love the X-Men films and you just really want to see how they tie together his storyline in the conclusion for Hugh Jackman's run in this character, the conclusion of the Wolverine, I guess, putting this in quotes, trilogy, since they're all sort of disconnected in a way in different timelines and such. Um, it is a film that transcends the genre to emerge as clearly one of the best comic book films in recent years. Um, I know some people on some of the podcasts I've listened to have said that it's their favorite superhero film of all time. I don't know if I can quite go that far. Um, it's definitely in the conversation, though. And, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, if not the best X-Men film, it's up there with X2, X-Men United, and X-Men Days of Future Past. I know, the la- I know that latter one is really contentious, and some people love Days of Future Past, and some people can't stand it. Um, but I, I, I think it, it was really ambitious in what it set out to do, and I think it did a good job sort of combining the, uh, the two eras in a way that made sense and, uh, you know, had, a, had an interesting point for those, stor- uh, those characters in that story. So uh, I have to really kind of hats off. I already have my hat off, uh, so I'll put, I'll put my hat back on so I can take the hat off. Hats off, there you go, uh, to Fox on their X-Men franchise. They really seem like they've sort of found their groove here and found that middle ground between the, the dark, somber uh, tone that the DC uh, Extended Universe is trying to go for and the uh, the more interconnectedness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they're sort of connecting things but they're not being slavish with it and they're taking risks and taking their characters into R-rated territory, into different genres, and and mixing it up. I just hope that going forward, they can kind of keep that going, keep that momentum running strong with New Mutants, with with uh, Deadpool 2, with uh, Gambit, X-Force, I don't know, uh, any of the other ones they have going. I, I have to say, though, I'm really... Everything sounds like Supernova, if that's what they're going to actually call the final film, or if they're going to change it. That looks like it's going to do the Dark Phoenix Saga. As much as I would love to see that story done right on screen, it sort of feel like, feels like it's a too little too late at this point. I mean, we did have that sort of uh, keyed up in X2, X-Men United, and then massively fucked up in X-Men The Last Stand, and then keyed up, uh, um, keyed up again, I guess, in X-Men Apocalypse. And part of me wants to see one more, maybe, with that cast with Sophie Turner 
Ty Sheridan, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, and some of the other actors there, maybe even McAvoy back to uh, to actually get that right. But I, I sort of feel like if Deadpool and Logan are, are the brave new world of the X Men franchise and X Men Apocalypse, which a lot of people disliked, and I I like. I like it enough. Like it's decent. I think it's a decent end of that trilogy, but it's not overall. It's not very. If I if we're being totally objective, and I'm not thinking as a X Men fan, it's not a particularly strong movie. Um, there's a lot of weak story elements there. Uh, I don't like what they did with Mystique and all the other things. So, if Supernova is going to be an extension of that, I kind of rather they leave the first class trilogy and let that be a self-contained trilogy, in and of itself, in the way that. In the way that the uh, X-Men, X2, and Last Stand trilogy sort of stands alone, um, I, I sort of wish that Supernova wasn't happening. It's kind of, to me, a bad sign of what they're trying to do. It seems like it's more of the same. And at, at this point, and I've, I've written about this, I wrote an article on uh, CheatSheet.com about this that I'll, I'll include in the show notes on, on CrookedTable.com for this. Basically saying that I think Deadpool should be the beginning of uh, a reboot of the franchise. A lot of people have been saying, oh, they should reboot this. They should give it back to Marvel or whatever. And, you know, whether they they cross it over with Marvel or not, uh, or they, you know, maybe Fox has come to some kind of deal with Marvel the way that Sony has to to be a part of that world, but but not, not like, not 100% like consumed by it. Um, that would be, that would be perfect for me. But I do think that there's too much baggage right now for them to carry that into any kind of collaboration with Marvel or anything. I do feel like we have ten films, and three of them pretty neatly, uh, pretty neatly fit into self-contained trilogies or thematic trilogies or character-based trilogies, how, what have you. You have the first-class movies that are very clearly prequels, you know, with a little time travel thrown in, focusing on McAvoy, Fassbender, Lawrence, and, and uh, Holt. And I think that that is nice and contained, and, and the end of Apocalypse sort of teases into the Jean Grey, Storm, Cyclops cast that we have in the original X-Men trilogy. That storyline ends in, in Last Stand, and then we have the Wolverines that sort of weave throughout those other two, uh, those other two timelines and such. And I, I don't think we we need to have an extension of any of those three. I'd like to see them all sort of put to bed, especially since this, you know, Jackman is basically the poster boy for the franchise at this point, the most recognized star and the most popular character. So it seems like a good, as good a time as any to, to start fresh. And I feel like Deadpool has only established, I mean, he's made references to McAvoy and, and uh, Stewart, but <laughs> he's fourth wall breaking, so he can kind of do whatever the hell he wants with that. The only uh, X-Men that we've seen on screen are Colossus and... Uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Warhead. That's hard to say. Negasonic Teenage Warhead. So I, I think that I feel like that movie is the perfect seed to then build out your X Forces, your Deadpool twos, and if you want to do New Mutants, if you want to do more with Jean Grey, Cyclops, Wolverine, or X twenty three, whatever, that's where you go with it. You start fresh with Deadpool, Colossus, and Negasonic Teenage Warhead as the only three established X Men, and then you expand it out from there. So. That's what I'm hoping to see for the franchise going forward. I think as far as Logan, I think this was a tremendous achievement for the franchise. Uh, one of the best X-Men films to date, definitely by a, by a mile, by a several miles, uh, the best Wolverine film. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give it a 4.5 
out of five. Like I said, there was some middle act stuff going on that was a little slow, and there were some elements, exposition heavy and X-24, that kind of stuff, that did sort of bug me enough to pull it back from a five out of five. Um, but this is hands hands down one, uh, you know, head and shoulders, if not slightly better than X-2 and Days of Future Past. Since I've seen those other two several times and I've only seen Logan once, I'd have to reflect and rewatch to kind of give my full thoughts on that. Um, but that's that's where I stand so far. So anyway, that concludes my review in-depth review of Logan. Um, let me know what you think of this new format, the, uh, you know, sort of breaking it down and, and honing in on a, one particular film um, in greater detail, rather than sort of be like, here's my review of this, here's my review of this, like I've done that in the past. Um, but I, I, you know, I feel like this might be a, a little bit of a better way of, of doing the podcast. Um, so I can, I can kind of have a, a provide better content for you, more in-depth thoughts on a film and sort of um, elaborate on, on some points that I would otherwise just skirt over and rather than just give you a surface level. It was really cool, this part and this part and this guy and yeah, check it out. Rather than just do that, I can kind of get in-depth on plot details and elements of, this, of the film that, that really impressed or disappointed me uh, with sort of a you know, catching up, quick hits type of, uh, you know, grab bag type of segment in the beginning where you'd be like, I saw this, this, and this, that's all cool, and now our featured one, our feature presentation, if you will, have Logan, you know, Logan be the feature presentation in this episode, and then, you know, a, a different film uh, each time. So I might try and do that um, going forward. Um, as I mentioned, if you want to read my article about Deadpool, how that should kick off a, uh, a reboot of the X-Men franchise. If you want to read my review of The Wolverine, the previous Mangold Jackman film uh, in this franchise that I wrote for CrookedTable.com a couple, well, now four years ago, wow. Um, uh, you want to see my thoughts on Days of Future Past, and that was actually in my best of 2014. Or if you want to just see, uh, you know, other franchises like the X-Men that I will follow anywhere, I will have links to those in the show notes. Um, going forward, uh, I think the next one I'm planning on these is I want to go sort of do a deep dive into Moonlight. Um, as you guys know, I had a, an episode a couple, well, now two episodes, well, last episode, if you're listening to this, um, talking about La La Land and sharing my thoughts on that. And that didn't even win Best Picture. And uh, I want to let you guys know exactly how I feel about uh, La La Land losing to Moonlight, my thoughts on Moonlight, my thoughts on the Best Picture uh, kerfuffle, which is not a word I often get to use, so I'm gonna enjoy, I'm gonna enjoy using it here, and uh, and break that film down in greater depth. I have picked up a copy of a copy of the film on Blu-ray, so I look forward to watching that and lining up my thoughts on Moonlight, uh, you know, in a little bit of greater depth than I have previously, or I don't really actually I haven't really gotten into it much at all. So, looking forward to sharing my in-depth thoughts on that rather than just giving you the surface level. Uh, anyway, that'll be the end of this episode. If you can find more reviews, podcasts, videos, other movie-related goodies on CrookedTable.com. I'm toying with getting back into the video side of things. I know uh, it's been quite a while, uh, almost a year, in fact. A few, several, well, like 10 months. And uh, actually, X-Men Apocalypse, I believe, was my last one. So this felt like it would have been a good film to return to the video format on there. But I, I really want to make sure I get it right before I... I start doing video reviews or any kind of video content, especially since there's such 
there's such a high level of of uh, content out there on YouTube um, where people really get in depth and break things down and and uh, I, I don't want to basically I don't want to throw my hat in that ring unless I feel like I have something interesting to say I guess is where I'm at with that um, as far as podcasts it's easy to just go on and on about an hour for for a film that I really have have to you know have a lot to say about but to boil that down into like a three or four minute like this is my move this is the movie and this is what I thought and that doesn't really appeal to me as much I'd rather talk at length about it for an hour and you know I don't want to make an hour-long YouTube video that seems a little a uh, little crazy so uh, you can also find Crooked Table on Facebook follow me on Twitter at Crooked Table uh, I'm gonna try and get a moonlight episode up in the next week or two but uh, if you want any indication of whether or not I enjoyed that film it is listed in my best of 2016 post that I just put up on the site uh, I know it's, it's a better late than never edition so at least I'm acknowledging that it's March and I'm posting that but still um, so go ahead and check that out and uh, if you haven't seen Moonlight it's on Blu-ray watch that between now and the next episode so that you can uh, you can get into my spoiler filled discussion on that uh, next time so I guess that's all I got for now and um, catch you guys next time with Moonlight and till next time roll credits This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.